Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for Concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-Centered Leader in Confessional Broadcasting, Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. Concord Matters. I am your host this week, Pastor Joshua Shear, Senior Pastor at R.C. Lutheran Church here in Cheyenne, Wyoming, coming to you remotely from Cheyenne, Wyoming, where we just saw twice as many people leave our state as live in it. Uh, over a million folks visited us for the eclipse yesterday, so uh, glad to have our roads back to kind of sparse. Uh, yeah. All right, so we're here for Concord Matters, and I have a couple guests with me today. Uh, pastor Adam Kuntz, who's pastor of Mount Calvary Lutheran Church in Lidditz, Pennsylvania, as well as Concordia Lutheran Mission in Anvil, Pennsylvania. And uh, welcome, Adam. Hey, great to be with you. Good to have you with us as well. And also here with me in Cheyenne is uh, my own circuit visitor, uh, Pastor Lincoln Winter, Trinity Lutheran Church in Wheatland, Wyoming. Welcome, Pastor Winter. Thank you, Joshua. All right, so everybody knows the show by now, hopefully. Otherwise, we go through the Book of Concord. That is the, we use the Concordia Reader's Edition from Concordia Publishing House. Um, great edition, good, good edition for every Lutheran household to have a copy in their home and to regularly use. We basically just read through paragraph by paragraph, and we'll talk about some of the things that are being discussed here. Uh, we have been going for months now, going through the Augs Apology of the Augsburg Confession, specifically this kind of Article 4 and now the extension Article 5, as the new version calls it, um, about love and its relationship to works, and then, of course, distinguish from faith, uh, which does justify. So we are at uh, Apology, Article 5, and we are in paragraph 114. But this is a middle-of-the-paragraph break, so this is a unideal break, so let's go back a little bit further. Um, this whole section here is, is again, making the distinction between faith and love. Uh, the Roman Catholics would advance the theology which says that no faith and love equals justification. Uh, the Lutherans, along with Scripture, would say no, faith is justification. Love is a fruit of faith. And so uh, that's a distinction we, we need to maintain throughout Scripture. Showing that here in, in paragraph 110, they start out discussing this uh, Colossians 3.14 passage about love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, that the Roman Catholics, uh, the Papists, were at that time using that to uh, advance their idea of faith plus love equals salvation. Fine. But the Lutherans say, no, that's not what it's talking about here. This is talking about relationship of unity uh, and, and love, and even they even use the word sometimes harmony in here, um, in the church, that uh, how is it we bear with one another and how is it we have this unity in the church. And so this current section starts out in paragraph 112 where it talks about unity cannot last when bishops impose heavier burdens upon the people or when they have no respect for the weakness in the people. And so this whole section is kind of unpacking that idea um, that that how, how unity is preserved, or here they say the church's integrity or the perfection is preserved when the strong bear with the weak, when the people put up with some faults in the conduct of their teachers, that is the life 
of the teachers, and when the bishops make some allowances for the people's weaknesses. So this is what the Lutherans are confessing about this love which binds everything together in perfect harmony, Colossians 3.14. So with that in mind, let's read paragraphs 114 and 115, and then we will start doing some commentary on that. The books of all the wise are full of these teachings about fairness, namely, that in everyday life we should make many allowances mutually for the sake of common peace. Paul teaches about this frequently, both here and elsewhere. Therefore the adversaries do not argue carefully from the term perfection that love justifies. For Paul speaks of common integrity and peace. Ambrose interprets this passage in this way. Just as a building is said to be perfect or an entire when all its parts are fitly jointed together with one another. Furthermore, it is disgraceful for the adversaries to preach so much about love while they don't show it anywhere. What are they doing now? They are tearing apart churches. They are writing laws in blood and asking the most merciful prince, the emperor, to enforce them. They are killing priests and other good men if any one of them is slightly indicated that he does not entirely approve of their clear abuses. What they are doing is not consistent with their claims of love, which if the adversaries would follow, the churches would be peaceful and the state would have peace. This turmoil would be lessened if the adversaries would stop being so bitter about certain traditions. These traditions are useless for godliness and are hardly observed by those very persons who most earnestly defend them. The adversaries easily forgive themselves, but they do not likewise forgive others, according to the passage of the poet, I forgive myself, Mabius said. All right, so we have an introduction here, and we kind of brought it into place. Pastor Kuntz, let's, talk, let's start talking about this. Uh, you have some opening thoughts you want to share about this, this first couple of paragraphs. Yeah, I think it's tremendously important, even though I think some of the language can seems like it's flying at 30,000 feet. Uh, the reason it's important and not just abst an abstract consideration or just claims about things that happened a long time ago is because they're talking about how Concord happens. So on this show, most of all, we are interested in that, and we want to know how it is that, practically speaking, Concord can exist in the Church um, and right now, they're not talking specifically about the process of hashing things out doctrinally, necessarily, not right here. But they are talking about the attitudes that are displayed, on the one hand, by those who love Concord, and on the other hand, uh, uh, by those who do not love Concord and simply want to assert their own ways. And the irony is that those who do not love Concord don't even really practice the things that they themselves so much insist upon. That's a, that's a great little summary of those two paragraphs. Um, does this relate then to, to Luther? I mean, Luther always put this, he, he talked about, you know, errors in doctrine versus errors in life. And, he, and yeah. he kind of made that distinction between doctrine and life. You know, in regards to doctrine, that is the teachings of Scripture, we, we should not err. Um, and in errors in life, we have to learn to kind of uh, learn to let love cover a multitude of sins. We're going to get to that passage in a little bit. Uh, is that is this related to that then? It has to be, because whereas we need to hash things out doctrinally and we need to state clearly what Scripture states for the sake of the people, because we're not actually permitted anywhere by Scripture to proclaim falsehood in any regard, it is also evident from Scripture, you can see in the dispute, let's say, between Paul and Barnabas about uh, where Mark will go in the course of their missions and acts, that people have disagreements, they have personality conflicts, and those are something that can be distinguished from doctrinal conflicts. Not all doctrinal conflict is merely a class of personalities, but in the Church, 
clashing personalities can often lead to conflict that splits the church apart, which is sad. And Melanchthon even mentions here um, somewhere in our section today that uh, a lot of times heresies are actually caused by the envy (laughs) of the one who becomes a heretic in order to promote something novel that would aggrandize himself. So uh, errors of doctrine and life are different things, but they can be connected in the sense that people often begin to find fault doctrinally with the Church and Scripture's teachings, because personally they have some kind of beef with the Church or someone in it. Yeah, well, I think I think that fits in well with, I mean, uh, your life, you, you've got failings in life, and so then you try to twist Scripture to make it justify your life. Um, which is, I mean, that's that's an age-old trick of the devil and the sinful flesh. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, so we see here, um, Pastor Winter, just what is going on here? I mean, do you have some examples for us of, of what's going on with, with regards to this? Uh, what are they doing now? They're tearing apart churches, writing laws and blood, killing priests and other good men. Uh, give some comment on that, please. Yeah, the reformers here aren't just using hyperbole. I mean, those are things that are actually happening. The um, the some of the Lutheran pastors at this time are being uh, put on trial and uh, even executed. Uh, there have by now been some Lutheran martyrs uh, solely for trying to teach the gospel. And uh, the Roman church is at this time demonstrating just a tremendous amount of lovelessness uh, toward them. They, they don't want to discuss uh, the doctrine behind it. Uh, Luther's problem really is that uh, he's attacking the financial basis of the Roman church uh, initially, the indulgences. And so Luther can't just be considered a reform movement in the church. You know, in in the Roman church, there are a lot of different reform movements over the years. Uh, But Luther never really qualifies as that because his objections aren't just that the church is being loveless, which it indeed was, but that doctrinally it has gone astray, specifically in that they're trying to sell forgiveness. And that that really affects the bottom line of the church. Uh, they, they were trying to build uh, St. Peter's Basilica in Rome at the time, and that's what the indulgences were funding. And so when Luther attacks indulgences, he's he's attacking the, the building program of the church and the Pope's ideas for having a lasting legacy uh, for the church. And, and so Luther isn't just a, a reform movement inside Rome. He's immediately just pushed off to the side. And, and Rome doesn't want to discuss those doctrinal things uh, because it, it goes to kind of the heart of who they are. And, and that's really the, the long-term problem is that Rome is so committed to their false doctrine uh, about works and love in or works and faith together saving us that that they really won't even discuss uh, the doctrine with with the Lutherans Uh, and and ultimately even to this day they never really have Uh, I know there was a yet another document that uh, pretend Lutheran group signed uh, with Rome saying, yes, we agree. But basically what they're doing is saying we're just giving up everything that makes us not Roman Catholic. Uh, and that's that's always been the case in those dialogues. Um, that there hasn't really been a, 
Um, there, there hasn't really been a successful doctrinal dialogue about the basis of our salvation, and that's always been the difference between us. Yeah, in fact, I mean, it was probably what seventeen years ago now, or something like that. The joint document, our joint doc, our document on the doctrine of justification, was publicized, and there you see the ELCA and the Lutheran World Federation giving up the fourth article of the Augsburg Confession. Uh, they gave in to Rome's definitions and and so forth. And of course, this is still confessing it. Uh, as as you mentioned, Luther and, and and you know they're still trying to kill priests. Well, I mean, Luther is still under the death penalty at this time. Um, when this is when this is out, when this is being confessed, uh, even when it's being defended now, Luther is still under that uh, punishment. So yes, uh, they're very much so. Uh, Pastor Kuntz, I mean, I mean, I think they're getting at this claim pretty much of hypocrisy, right? I mean, is that what they're getting at? That, that they have so much claims of love, but but they don't even do it. What they're what they're trying to what they're saying they should do. Is that right? It's a it's a great irony that those who are the most strenuous advocates of love and works have so little of both. And it's something that Melanchthon will bring up, I think, both throughout the confession and at much greater length in the apology, that the Lutherans are the ones who teach clear, practical sermons on the Ten Commandments and vocation, and those who so strenuously advocate works have very little to show for them and instead have to show only the, the blood of various Lutherans on their hands. Yeah, so... So bringing it forward to now, then, um, as we seek to confess the truth and, and teach it to our parishes and to our people and so forth, uh, the truth of the law, uh, as far as you know, instructing works and so forth, uh, the third use, as Lutherans call it, um, this should be a, a kind of a warning for us too that we would put these things into practice, even as we as we're trying to teach them. Correct? Yeah, because the one who says these things and does not practice them is himself an empty gong. You know, he's a, he's a clashing symbol. And so he himself is without works. You have really the same situation in Corinth. You have strenuous advocates of gifts and works and wonders, and these are the very people who have no love for one another. So these things go together, as Melanchthon's going to teach very clearly from James in a little bit, that faith and love go together. Love never justifies. It simply could not. It does not propitiate. But love is always there where faith is living. Excellent. All right, so let's move on to paragraphs 116 through 118 here. But what they do is very far from those praises of love that they recite here from Paul. They do not understand the word any more than the walls of a building that echo it back. They cite also the sentence from Peter, love covers a multitude of sins. Peter also speaks of love towards one's neighbor because he joins the passage to the rule that commands love for one another. No apostle would have imagined, A, our love overcomes sin and death, B, love satisfies God's wrath and reconciles us to God while excluding Christ as mediator, and C, in love in and of itself is righteousness before God without Christ as mediator. For this love, if such a thing could exist, would be a righteousness of the law, not of the gospel. The gospel promises reconciliation and righteousness to us if we believe that for the sake of Christ as reconciler, the Father has been reconciled and that Christ's merits are given to us. Peter urges us, a little before, to come to Christ that we may be built upon him. He adds in 1 Peter 2, 6, Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. When God judges and convicts us, our love does not free us from confusion. But faith in Christ frees us from these fears, 
because we know that for Christ's sake we are forgiven. All right, so we have some other clarifications here that are going on. I, I do want to go back to touch one one issue in, in paragraph 115 that I did have a note written down for. I want to go back to real quick. It says at the, at the top of the page there, on page uh, 117 here in the reader's edition, uh, it says, uh, if the adversaries would follow, the churches would be peaceful and the state would have peace. Um, the, the relationship there uh, between church and state and then, of course, realizing that this is the the emperor who's who's you know going to be a part of this discussion, these these confessions and these refutations and, and so forth going on. The emperor is here, so you see this this idea of the church being peaceful, and then the state would have peace. Um, pastor Kuntz, or, or or Pastor Winter, actually, I think I'm, I'm to you. Uh, Luther had this idea, right, that that a peaceful church, a church that had the pure doctrine, and 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 had peaceful kind of existence would be most beneficial for the state. And so that's why he would advocate to the rulers of the state that, you know, they should stress pure doctrine and so forth, right? Well, absolutely. Uh, anytime you have false doctrine, you're you're turning away from God and, and what he wants us to do, which is to, uh, which is to look in faith toward him and in love toward our neighbor. Uh, and, and you're turning inward to yourself. And so you're going to have a distortion of that in some way. And so... Uh, yeah, that that's where you get churches that can become very hateful uh, and uh, in their quest for tolerance become intolerant in their quest for works forget to do works uh, where where it becomes all talk and, and no action and so a church that actually teaches what we are to do with ourselves is is a church that's going to lead to good things uh, in society as well and so you, you won't have these disruptions, this civil strife that uh, we're seeing well now throughout our country as well, when we look to God and his word as, as the guide and, and when that word is taught purely. Uh, and that's the important thing is you, you can't just claim scripture. Uh, you have to teach rightly what God has to say to us. Uh, those who, I mean, Satan can quote scripture. In fact, he does even in the Bible quote scripture. And that always leads to death and decay. And, and that's the same way as well with false teachers, is they turn away from God to themselves, and, and that leads to disorder in society. Pastor Kuhn, going from what Pastor Winter just said, um, so what what would we do in a current society like we have now, where there's just rampant anger, strife, contention, um, uh, just yeah, just a mess? I mean, what 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 is the church? How can how can our confession help our state? The church proclaims a kind of peace that the world cannot offer, uh, the peace with which Jesus left his disciples. Uh, in the Upper Room Discourse in John's Gospel. And that is a piece that uh, puts into a different perspective the, the strivings, the national, the ethnic, the racial, the social strivings of different groups in our country. Now, the situations are in some way very, very different because the Augsburg Confession and the Apology live within the context of Christendom. And they are promising that when the Church is united in concord, that therefore also the Holy Roman Empire will be united in concord. It's different in our day because this does not have the binding legal um, 
force behind it that the apology originally did in its uh, first setting. But the message of the gospel remains the same, and the message of concord in Christ remains the same. And uh, that peace that Christ gives puts into a different, very temporary perspective the kind of political strivings of the ages, whether I think the 16th century or the 21st century. And um, that's really what the Church has to offer. It's what the Church always has to offer is the Gospel, and the Gospel does change hearts and minds, and it regenerates and gives birth to new men who do works of love. Um, That's what the Church has to offer. It's what we've always done for the societies in which we dwell. Excellent. Excellent. And our society could certainly use that as well. Pastor Winter. Yeah, uh, I heard a, a great line uh, or read a great line in, in a book once where it talks about all the, the kings of the earth and all the, the worldly powers. And, you know, we get so caught up in the news and such. Uh, but it was a comment on the temptation of Jesus where the devil says, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. And the writer said, you know, you can go and see all of those, all of those great kingdoms of the world in the British Museum for free, uh, Monday through Saturday. And that's true. I mean, all of this political power over the centuries uh, just crumbles to dust. And so, in a sense, I mean, it, I know it's kind of a Facebook meme, but uh, it, there's a, a bit of truth to it that, you know, turn off the news, and, not KFUO, but turn off the news and then... You know, go and, and help your neighbor mow his lawn, bake some bread for him. Do, do something loving and kind for your neighbor. That's, that's how we live out our vocation and, and, and just this constant obsession uh, with, with the political powers. That's not how, how God intended us to be. You know, Jesus says I, it, that the, the Gentiles seek after power. It's not supposed to be that way with you. And I think that, that sometimes our obsessive following of the news is, is kind of our own attempt to be involved in that somehow. And, and Jesus just says, don't let it be that way. Step away from it. Uh, read and study God's Word. Go to church on Sunday and show love to your neighbor throughout the week. And, and then you find out that, you know, I mean, in our, in our daily lives, things aren't maybe as, as bad as the news is trying to make it seem. Because, of course, bad news drives ratings. Uh, no one wants to hear man was nice to his neighbor. It just doesn't doesn't do it, and so, but that's that's what God calls us to do. It's not exciting necessarily, uh, but it's loving and it leads to good things. Well put, well put. And KFUO does does provide news, but uh, of course it, it also provides good news. Um, the 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 doctrine, the teachings of Scripture, the pure gospel, so forth. So uh, there is something of eternal weight going over the airwaves uh, from KFUO versus the temporal weight of those that go over the twenty four hour news cycles. Uh, so this is certainly true. All right, so we we, we read through one sixteen to one eighteen, and we have here uh, Melanchthon is is defending again. He's he's stressing this love uh, love concept as as part of uh, the Christian life, certainly but not a part of a person's justification, not, not a part of being reconciled to God. And so he, he mentions here Peter's passage, love covers a multitude of sins. Great passage, uh, if it's rightly applied. Uh, here the Roman Catholics were trying to apply it to the, you know, see, see, love, love uh, equals forgiveness, love equals salvation. And of course, this is not what Peter's saying. Peter's talking about our interactions with each other, that, you know, we, we, if we love one another, we will put up with one another. 
with with failings and weaknesses and so forth. And anyone um, that uh, I, when I teach this, I, I teach it and, and I remind people, you know, the the best example of this is a husband and wife. Um, there's no husband who doesn't have failings, uh, but the wife, in love for her husband, looks past them. In in essence, covers the multitude of those sins. And so this is just this is something we do naturally. And and this is what you know Melanchthon is pointing out to us as life in the church, letting some of these things do. All right. So that being said, we are going to come back after a break. And so you're listening to Concord Matters on KFUAM Radio, the messenger of the good news. We'll be back right after the break. Concordia University, Wisconsin in Mequon overlooks a half mile of beautiful Lake Michigan shoreline. CUW campus is located 15 miles north of Milwaukee with over 70 undergraduate majors, 28 graduate degree programs, and doctorate programs in pharmacy, physical therapy, occupational therapy, and nursing practice. CUW offers online learning and accelerated learning at one of nine Wisconsin centers and one in St. Louis. Traditional or accelerated education, CUW has the program for you. CUW.edu. Three things make a believer. Oratio, meditatio, tentatio. Prayer, meditation, and growth. Which is why every weekday morning from 7 to 8 a.m. we bring you Oratio, an hour of solace, contemplation, scripture, sacred music, and faith. Oratio, the dawn breaks with prayer every morning on Worldwide KFUO. I deserve a reward. After all, I found our dream house. I have a pickle. Thanks. But I found out how much the house was going to cost, pass the jar. But I found us the perfect mortgage. But then I found out the house had radon, Ugh. the radioactive gas that's the second leading cause of lung cancer. Yeah, well, I need mm, two pickles. I found the phone number to call, 1-800-SOS-RADON, where you can get all the information you need to test your home and fix a radon problem. Mm, no, I'd like some ice cream with this pickle. Are you trying to tell me something? Protect your family from radon. Call 1-800-SOS-RADON. 1-800-SOS-RADON. Hi, I'm Mary Schmidt, Development Manager for KFUO. And I'm Pastor Mark Hawkinson, Donor Care Specialist for the station. Please pray for the continued success of our ministry as the gospel message now goes across the world. Thanks for partnering with us so our red on-air light might stay lit. If you would like further information about being a partner, call me at 314-996-1518. Or me at 314-996-1520. Thank you in advance for your support. We are Worldwide KFUO. Fyodor Dostoevsky, a renowned novelist of the 19th century, was raised in a devout Russian Orthodox home. The details of his life often as dark as the subjects of his novels. The Brothers Karamazov is a story of greed and vengeance in the conflict of a father and his four sons, one a Christ-like figure who desires to put Christian love into practice. In the novel, the Russian monk says to visitors, what a book the Bible is, what strength is given it to man. Forgive my tears, for I love the Bible. In her memoir, his wife wrote, Often, when he was in deep thought, he would open the New Testament. Only in that book did he find support. Whenever he resorted to it, he was filled with new energy and strength. Engage with the Bible in the story surrounding this book of all books. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible.
Welcome back to Concord Matters here on KFU AM Radio, the messenger of the good news. We are coming at you with the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, talking about faith and love and the relationship between the two, specifically talking about how love, when you distinguish it from faith, meaning you put it properly in its light, that is something we should do in this life as a fruit of faith, that it helps bring concord, peace, unity in uh, amongst Christians in the church, and then that benefits the state as well. We, let, we left off with paragraphs 116 through 118 here in Article 5 of the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. And we were talking about how Peter is commanding this love covers a multitude of sins and how that relates us to one another as neighbors. Now, Pastor Kuntz, he goes into this great section where he does this A, B, and C thing, at least in the reader's edition he has that. No apostle would have imagined our love overcomes sin and death. Love satisfies God's wrath and reconciles us to God while excluding Christ as mediator. And love in and of itself is righteousness before God without Christ as mediator. Now, why is he being so specific in, in making these grand kind of assertions? You know, no apostle would have imagined this. Why, why is he getting into this? Pastor Coons? Yeah, are you, can you hear me? Yeah, I can now. Did we? Did you catch my question, or do I need to repeat it? Yeah, I got you. Can you hear me now? I can now. Okay. Um, he's saying that the the origin of these heresies, which is kind of, he states them by saying that this would not have come into the mind of any apostle, that love overcomes sin and death, love is the propitiation, and love is righteousness without Christ as mediator. That the origin of those things is in the misinterpretation of the apostolic writings. Here it's specifically First Peter, but that is to say more broadly that the before the doctrinal statements have come out and it's seen how different the evangelical teaching is from the papist teaching, that that has originated in a very different reading of Scripture, and that reading the Bible correctly is the origin of pure doctrine, as reading the Bible incorrectly is the origin of heresy. Excellent. And so, so these are heresies that have been kind of given over throughout church history. Uh, the Roman Catholics um, certainly would have espoused many of these, that our love overcomes sin and death, love satisfies God's wrath. Um, and, and, of course, this is all related to the fact that they're trying to use the word love in a way that Scripture never uses the word love. Um, that, that It's not love that justifies but it's faith that justifies, and we'll get to that at the, in paragraph 118 yet. And I think they touch upon this too, that you know, if, if this, for this love, if such a thing could exist, I mean, so, so they're kind of heckling that it, it doesn't even exist, would be a righteousness of the law, not of the gospel. Uh, and, and Christ is the end of, of the righteousness of the law uh, for those who believe um, from Romans as we get that. So, so you have this kind of, they're trying to use the law in an unlawful way, uh, that is to gain righteousness or justification or salvation through it. And this is not good. Um, and this is what the Lutherans are confessing against. So the, go the gospel, it says here, promises reconciliation and righteousness to us if we believe that for the sake of Christ is reconciled, that the Father has been, has been reconciled, and that Christ's merits are given to us. So again, they go back to Article 4 of the Augsburg Confession, the chief article of the faith, that, that you know, they restate it, this, this reconciliation righteousness, when we believe that Christ has done this as a reconciler for us. 
and gives it to us. And so over and over again, we keep going back to that Article 4 um, of the Augsburg Confession. Now, we get into paragraph 118, and we see here the, the proof they use from Peter. Uh, Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Uh, this this idea, you know, that that's a statement of salvation. So, so Pastor Winter, I'm going to be looking at you here to, to kind of discuss this text. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And then their little explanation, when God judges and convicts us, our love does not free us from confusion. All right? So, so the law is not going to give us the comfort of salvation, correct? Absolutely. Uh, the, the law can't save us. And, and what they do is, it's so brilliant with those three statements you were talking about, is they, they point out because love is the fulfillment of the law. And so uh, when we say to someone, you, you have to do works, in addition to faith, we're really saying you have to love. And the difference then between what Rome is teaching and what the Lutherans are teaching is they say that you have to love in order to be saved. Uh, in addition to faith. So when they put it so, cra- not really crassly, but so so bluntly, where it says, our love overcomes sin and death, you can really see how that's just a, a foolish teaching. Um, our love can't overcome sin and death. Uh, we, we are condemned to death, of course, because of sin, uh, but our love can't overcome that. Uh, that that has to be Christ's work. And the statement from First Peter here, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. They're using that in contrast to the last paragraph where they quoted from Peter, love covers a multitude of sins. That doesn't mean that our, that it doesn't mean my love covers my sins before God. It means my neighbor's love toward me covers my sins in their sight so that they don't, uh, they, they don't have to, keep track of all of the, the stupid things I've done and, and keep a record of it and and then get back at me over that. Uh, now, of course, that's a lot of times how the world works, uh, but the, the way that God gives us is that we don't keep track. Uh, we don't keep a record of wrongs. Rather, we forgive. And, and that's what they're talking about with love covers a multitude of sins is that because in Christ we have been shown love and we now can love, we can forgive others their sins. And that's a wonderful gift to be able to forgive someone else because now you don't have to live in that anger and bitterness of, of fulfilling the law. Uh, and having everyone around you fulfill the law because when you start to live in, in that sort of a, of a system where you're you're counting a record of wrongs that everyone else has committed against you, you you really st- you end up distorting the law because of course you also sin but you don't see that you you sin against others you don't see it instead what you see is all the things they've done to you and so you keep a record of all those wrongs it just leads to bitterness and and a miserable life uh, and so that that's really that what they're even saying here is that Rome has this. This whole system that leads to keeping a record of wrongs, to, to loveless behavior toward your neighbor, and, and toward a miserable way of living. And so by saying we're saved by faith and works, th- what, Rome is say- what Rome is ending up with is just a system where they're not even showing love. Uh, they're, they're so consumed with keeping a record of wrongs that there's no love in them. And, and so the, the answer to this give up on that and and go with God saving us by faith 
and then the works being a fruit of faith, not a part of the faith that saves us, because that cannot save us and, and cannot bring us out of death. Uh, and that's, that's what they've been saying all along here, what we continue to say. We, it's really what we've been saying for 500 years. And if, if we're ever listened to, that would be a glorious day in the church. Indeed. In fact, it's been said even longer than that. It's a, a, a truly Catholic teaching uh, going all the way back to Christ and the apostles themselves about this, this love uh, and so forth, which is not a saving love, but it's a fruit of being saved love. And, and so <clears throat> we see this here. Uh, Pastor Kuntz, uh, when we get into this kind of talk, I mean, immediately we think of this is about the church. And so talking about the church, so, so in the LCMS, we want to bring this to the parish, the congregation. Uh, to that level, what what does this kind of love look like? This love covered in multitude of sins. What does this look like in a parish, with regards to pastor and people, parishioners to each other? What, what kind of things are we we exhorting them to in this? Yeah, we're exhorting them not to going through life thinking that their personal, not biblical, but personal standards for how things should happen and what should happen and who should put on what event when and in what part of the church and who they should talk to first and what a new member ought to know and what they should have known and who they should have asked and they didn't. It's this constant insistence on one's own way in pastor or parishioner that can make churches nearly impossible to be in, um, that can drive away the weak and that can ultimately weaken the entire congregation. So it's really a practice of not insisting on one's own way. You know, those descriptions of love's characteristics in 1 Corinthians 13. We're not talking here about compromising on doctrine. We're simply talking here about compromising on coffee choices or how the chairs are arranged in the fellowship hall. And it's those sorts of things that often get people in trouble and cause strife between one another, and we're being exhorted to let go of this constant insistence on our own way and to seek the good of the neighbor and everything. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, love covers a multitude of sins, even if they're just perceived sins or wrongs that you've seen that another church member has done to you, or maybe your pastor, or uh, maybe a parishioner to a pastor. Uh, this this rule is a good rule to observe in the church. Um especially for building this kind of uh, integrity, as it calls, the, the unity and so forth. Right. I, think right. It's, I, I um, just want this... to add real quickly that it, it's, it's really yeah. hard to do in a consumer society because we expect to be served, right? Um, and if Jesus is calling us to serve and not to be served as he came to do, it's hard to practice this stuff because we are used, we, we pay to get our own way most of the time, and it's it's sort of shocking when other people are not always doing exactly what we want. So I think it's particularly hard for us today to, to live this way. And I think you're very much right that in our culture and, and so forth, the, the have it your way uh, attitude right. sneaks into the church. Right. It's really dangerous because it's, it's not what Christ has given us to do, um, commanded us to do. And it really kind of tears away then at, at the church's uh, integrity, so to speak. Right. Uh, our bonds right. of exactly. peace, so to speak, as the, as the Holy Spirit gives them to us. All right, so the last couple sentences here of 118, I just wanted to cover real brief. 
Uh, when God when God judges and convicts us, our love does not free us from confusion, but faith in Christ frees us from these fears because we know that for Christ's sake we are forgiven. So again, Pastor Winter, you did a great job of just kind of going off on how the Roman Catholic system builds this kind of bitterness and this record-keeping of everyone else's wrongs and everything else. And, and, and I think what this confession summed that up as is confusion. I mean, can you imagine trying to keep track of a church in this case? when you're trying to keep track of all the penance required and all the different things and all the traditions that you're supposed to do and all the canons that you're supposed to keep track of and so forth in order to be saved. Well, confusion would be the result. But here the Lutherans confess that the, the counter to that, the scriptural counter to that is faith in Christ frees us from these fears. So so this freedom, to, freedom from the fears of am I doing enough? Uh, are they doing enough for me? Uh, all these different kind of things that can come up we're now freed from by the gospel uh, so we so we can be forgiven and then actually genuinely love one another. This, I mean, this kind of what you're going along with what you're saying? Yes, absolutely. Uh, this it's exactly what they're what they're saying. Uh, and the this idea of the confusion when we get bogged down in works, the, the other problem is is the well, there's there's two possibilities. One is that we become a Pharisee seeing everyone else as sinful, but the other is that we get so bogged down in our own sins and our own desire uh, for or our own attempts at righteousness that we're overcome with guilt uh, and that we, we live our lives in a state of constant fear that we haven't been good enough for God. And that's where you, you end up with some of these extremist things going on where, uh, for example, with Islam, uh, that you have such an angry God there. You, you better do everything he says or you're smitten. And if you do everything he says and he's in a bad mood that day, you might be anyway. So you better really go after it. Well, that's where you end up with these, uh, the, the, the fanatical sort of behavior that we're seeing in, in Islamic terrorism uh, and, and that we've seen uh, in, in other churches as well. The, uh, on the other end of things, uh, for example, Westboro Baptist with their just extreme hatred of everything uh, that isn't them. Uh, because they're trying to make sure that they appease God, uh, because they don't have this understanding of forgiveness and of, and this is a, a key concept in Scripture, of a cleansed conscience, uh, that, that we are freed from works of the law and our conscience has been cleansed. Uh, and, and pastors see this all the time where people are carrying around guilt from decades ago, from things that they have done or uh, the, in, in the past and, uh, applying the gospel to that is, is where really that that's, that's one of the most beautiful things about pastoral work is where someone has just been carrying this tremendous burden for, for a long time. And, and you get to bring the gospel to that and say, God has forgiven that sin, that one that you didn't think could be forgiven. That has been forgiven in Christ's death and applying that personally, uh, in in private absolution, that that that's when you see people really start to understand how wonderful a gift it, the gospel is. That they don't have to live in fear and confusion anymore. They have a cleansed conscience, and they can serve God in righteousness and purity uh, for Christ's sake, not their own. It's extremely freeing, and we see this also when people come to Lutheranism from evangelicalism. That they can get off that that just kind of constant treadmill of works that doesn't get you anywhere and actually just receive the gospel 
and then do works as the fruit of that rather than trying to earn something. Uh, that That's where we, we really see the gospel have a great effect on people is when they come out of something like that where they're just burdened in their conscience with, with guilt. And and that doesn't lead to to happiness, and that's that's what we've been what we're fighting against here. Here is my opportunity to tell the listeners: go talk to your pastor about private confession and absolution, a great treasure of our church, and a great tool in the care of your soul. All right, paragraphs one nineteen through one twenty two. We're going to try to get through this before the end of the show. Besides, this sentence about love is taken from Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12, where the complete opposite clearly shows how love ought to be understood. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. This verse teaches precisely the same thing as Paul does in Colossians. If any dissensions would occur, they should be moderated and settled by our fair and patient conduct. Dissensions, it says, increase by means of hatred. We often see that tragedies arise from the most trifling offenses. Certain petty offenses occurred between Gaius Caesar and Pompey. If one had yielded a very little to the other, civil war would have not risen. But while each gave in to his own hatred, the greatest commotions arose from the matter of no importance. Many heresies have also arisen in the church only from the hatred of false of the teachers. Therefore, this verse does not refer to a person's own faults, but to the faults of others. When it says love covers a multitude of sins, it means those of others. Even though these offenses occur, love overlooks, forgives, and yields to them, not carrying all things to the extremity of justice. Peter, therefore, does not mean that love merits the forgiveness of sins in God's sight, or that it is an atoning sacrifice excluding Christ as mediator. He also does not mean that such love regenerates and justifies, but that it is not gloomy, harsh, and uncooperative toward people. It overlooks the mistakes of its friends, while it deplores the harsher manners of others. A well-known saying puts it this way, No, but do not hate the manners of a friend. Nor did the apostle thoughtlessly teach so often about this office what the philosophers call leniency. For this virtue is necessary for p- keeping public harmony in the church and in civil government. Harmony in the church cannot last unless pastors and churches mutually overlook and pardon many things. This is kind of a, a section that has just kind of summarized exactly what we've been talking the last 20 minutes on the show, um, especially about this this love and mutuality for each other and uh, so forth. Pastor Kuntz, why don't you just uh, give us a few of your comments on this this section here? Um, certainly it applies back then, but certainly this is this is like right from today. I mean, hatred stirs up strife. Uh, love covers a multitude of fences, uh, the dissensions and, and the small things becoming huge problems because of the offenses and the anger and the hatred and so forth. Pastor Kuntz, go ahead and give some commentary on this, please. Yeah, Melanchthon uses in the original text the Greek word epiakeia, which is usually translated in our Bibles, like in uh, Philippians chapter 4, as moderation. Here, uh, our translators have leniency. It's a virtue which Christians seek to cultivate it in Philippians 4. It's a virtue which is cultivated in the context of rejoicing in the Lord. So the heart that has been set free by the gospel, uh, the mind which is now free from being enslaved to anything except Christ, uh, those are now able to rejoice truly in the salvation they have. 
And so their attitude towards the rest of the world is now being conformed to Christ, who is gentle and lowly of heart. Uh, so this moderation for which Melanchthon is calling is really just the imitation of Christ within the Church and of his attitude towards, uh, you know, people like Peter, who claim that he shouldn't be crucified, or James and John, who clash with one another about who will sit on his right hand. Uh, that in these kind of disputes which arise within the band of the disciples, within congregations, um, within nations, that we would be able to reflect Christ uh, to the neighbor in the way that we're called to do, and that the characteristic necessary for that is this this moderation, this leniency, which, and I love this phrase, does not carry all things to the extremity of justice. You are not going through life looking to punish people for things that they've done wrong. You're going through life looking, uh, hopefully, to bring them to a knowledge of Christ and to the peace that he offers them. Yeah, excellent. I mean, I think it's the bitterness and the so forth. I can get to that extremity of justice, that everything becomes about the wrong committed against you and how that needs to be righted, um, yeah. rather than, of course, Christ who rights all wrongs, um, that the Christian should realize that in their own interactions as we pray in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Pastor Winter, uh, I'll just kind of leave you open-ended on this, too. Some commentary on these paragraphs. I love that last line. Harmony in the church cannot last unless pastors and churches mutually overlook and pardon many things. And you could say the same thing. Harmony in the family cannot last unless parents and children, husbands and wives, mutually overlook and pardon many things. And that that has to be how we go about living. And that's one of the things that God often gives us the opportunity uh, to learn to love someone else uh, who we might not originally find lovable. And he sometimes does that in the church with a pastor in a congregation that maybe at first don't get along very well or, or in families uh, with siblings that, that have conflict. Uh, but those are opportunities for us to learn how to love and learn how to forgive. And I think that uh, perhaps if, if maybe our, uh, some of our, our synod leaders and, and our district leaders uh, looked at it that way when they went into conflicted congregations rather than, well, let's, you know, get rid of this guy and bring in a new pastor who's more to their liking. I, I think we'd have a much happier church life uh, just as a synod. And, and I think that, that that needs to be the model we follow is uh, teaching people how to forgive for sins committed against them. That, that's so important and so difficult. Uh, it's, it's, you know, someone once asked the question, which is harder to do, to ask forgiveness or to forgive if, if there's a real sin there. Uh, our pride doesn't want us to ask for forgiveness, but on the other hand, our pride doesn't want to forgive a sin either. And, and that's, that can be just the hardest thing to do. And, and it really can take a long time to work through uh, being able to forgive. And uh, what, what a wonderful opportunity we have in the church as, as pastor and people. Uh, my people are so gracious and overlook so many of my faults in my parish. Uh, it, it makes life as a pastor such a joy uh, when that happens. And uh, I, I just I can't say enough about, about this concept of just overlooking the faults of others as a, a much happier way to live your life. 
It, it really is. And uh, that's where we really get the harmony in the church that, that God is, is, uh, desires us to have. And I said, a much better way to live. In fact, I think that this is, uh, this is something that, that should cause us pastors to sharpen our preaching, uh, in particular of uh, the sweetness of the gospel. Uh, because any of this love is going to be the fruit of faith, and that faith is going to be created and sustained by the gospel. And so uh, if we want to see this this love in the parish, um, we want to stress and, and, and preach the gospel so that these people who, can, who, who maybe are trapped in bitterness, who maybe can't look past faults and, and, and failings, uh, that they start to realize maybe their own failings and their own faults that have been forgiven and come to realization of, of how much Christ has indeed done for them. Again, this ties right into the Lord's Prayer, uh, that the petitions uh, to, to forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, that knowing I'm forgiven uh, by Christ will mean I can forgive anyone who wrongs me uh, because that's that's what Christ has done for me. And so I can do that for others. And I think this last last sentence is, is one of the most beautiful things in this, in that, you know, harmony of church requires pastors, churches, elders, board members, altar guilds, whatever, overlook and pardon many things. You've been listening to Concord Matters, and this whole episode's been on Concord. So how it is it works in our lives and in our congregations, in our churches, uh, and even in our nations. So go to church this Sunday. Go hear the gospel. That it might that it would give you uh, faith in Jesus, and then of course be active then in love towards your neighbor. And not that your love will save you, but your love is a fruit of that salvation that has already been given to you by Christ. Uh, you've been listening to Concord Matters here on KFU AM Radio, the Messenger of the Good News. We will catch up with you next week. Lord's blessings. <laughs>